You're listening to Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Hello, my name is Trisha Nichols. Um, I've been in Ketchikan since April of 2017. And what brought us here? Uh, we were transplanted from California and we took a cruise um, and absolutely fell in love with Ketchikan and put all of our faith in God and prayed about it. And if it was meant to happen, it was going to happen. And it happened um, within eight months of our cruise, we were relocating. So that was very, very fun. Um, I grew up in a small town in Madera, California. So it attracted me to Ketchikan, um, small town vibe type thing. Um, I was raised Catholic and went to church pretty much through probably fifth, sixth grade. And then as kids got older, family got bigger. Um, we grew to grandma and grandpa's house on Sundays for Sunday meals. Um, fun time all day long there in the morning noon till nighttime. Um, till my senior year in high school kind of died off when my grandfather passed away um, and that's about it for my church experience um, always believed in God um, prayed occasionally kind of played with it um, graduated high school um, got married um, worked had life lived a modest life had two beautiful daughters um, had fun Never really felt like he needed to go back to church. Kind of always thought about it. Had a Bible by my bedstand, um, but never just really felt the need. I knew, you know, I believed. Um, and then divorces happen, kids grow up, life happens, um, and you find yourself trying to rediscover who you are, um, where you fit in, what your purpose is. And then tragedy strikes. You know, you don't expect it ever, I don't think. Um, divorced um, for a few years. My daughters were 15 and 18. And my youngest sister was expecting her first child. And um, had him premature. Um, he was fine, just a little peanut. Um, and then uh, nine days later, she passed away. I was with her the whole time she was in the hospital um, and I think I prayed a lot a lot and um, spent a lot of time at her bedside um, talking to her and trying to figure out where this all was I remember one night sitting and journaling and um, It's, it's crazy. Um, I heard God's voice tell me, um, this is your son. And I remember being startled because I didn't think that it would ever be that prominent or that loud of a voice. Um, so um, after she passed, I um, took 
David, um, and he's being raised as my son. And I, I was angry for the longest time, angry, mad. Um, why? I went from the first grief stage to the, the anger stage, and I stayed there for quite a long time. Um, and I asked God a lot um, why. He made this my my responsibility, um, but I just I don't know what I would do without him. Um, he absolutely brings me the most joy in that I could have ever imagined. Um, so with that, a tragedy, um, a true tragedy, um, brought me closer to God um, and made comforted me that God was always with me. And um, things happen for a reason, although I still get kind of angry about it. Um, but with tragedy comes joy, and a lot of joy. Uh, we have our family Bible on the wall. So today is the last day that you can uh, write, underline, highlight, circle, make a note, draw a picture, whatever, interact with the Word of God in this particular fashion. Again, remember, at any point when I'm preaching, feel free to come on up, or before, or well, it's after the before time, so you can't come up before the message, but afterwards, you can come up, and you can write this. We'll keep this up through today, and then I'll take it down at some point this week. Um, but even if you aren't writing, circling, underlining, highlighting, drawing, whatever, um, I would encourage you at some point today before you leave to, to come over to this wall and to read the things that have been written because there are notes scrawled in the margins as there should be in any good family Bible and there are uh, prayers and there are testimonies and there are uh, verses that have been uh, so obscured by highlighting and underlining that those verses are making significant impacts on multiple people in this body. So go and receive encouragement from what the Lord is doing in other people uh, because this is our family Bible and we mutually together uh, learn from each other and encourage one another and find joy. So uh, I would encourage you to do that if you haven't yet interacted in that way with the word of God on the wall. Um, and uh, I will probably take some sort of picture of this and post this online so that we have a record of our family Bible uh, because I don't know how to keep this forever. So we'll just have to digitalize it and, uh, and, and save it in that fashion. So all that said, the family Bible is available for you today. Uh, since we're in our last week in Philippians, uh, I debated something. I debated how we would end this message uh, series. I thought about, wouldn't it be the perfect bookend if we ended it the way we started it, where I got to sit in a very comfortable chair, uh, and I just read to you the book of Philippians again. Because then at least, at least, you would have read the entirety of it twice, right? But I didn't feel the green light on that one. So instead, I started reading through the book again, because it's short, right? It's, for me, just three pages of one, two, and three. Uh, pages in my Bible. It's a short book. It's, it's very short, four chapters. And I began looking for what is, what, what would Paul say is the summation theme? Like if, if he was preaching this series, what would be the thing that he would close with? And there were a few things that popped out at me that I thought, oh, 
It's like the more I read this book, the more I find. Have you ever experienced that in scripture? Like just when you think, I couldn't possibly preach eight weeks on this, I start to study it a little bit more and I go, I could probably preach another eight weeks out of this. I won't, don't panic, at least not this year. Um, but uh, I realize there is so much more, the more I dig, the more I find. And the old adage about the Bible is that it is deep enough for an elephant to drown in and shallow enough for a baby to play in. Um, and I love that because it doesn't matter where you are in your walk with God. There's always something for you. You can always find meat from the word of God. Now, and, and all that to say, uh, I, I found yet again another theme in this book. I thought it was essential for us and perfect for the closing week. Um, we've covered a lot uh, uh, in this book. We've covered uh, the, the main idea of joy, right? Because overarching, this is a book about joy. Um, and we've talked about how Paul um, is preaching to the church in Philippi, which is not that much different than our church, right? We uh, are roughly, as a city, the size of Philippi. Um, and statistically speaking, the Christians in this church this church particular about the number of Christians there were uh, in Philippi at the time. And so a uh, small number of Christians, a relatively larger number of unbelievers. And so Paul is preaching to this small group of Christians saying, live out some joy in the world and have joy so that other people can come to know who Christ is. And so we learn through the study of Philippians that joy is that resting in and that dependence on and that putting your full weight and trust on the grace of God. That is literally what the word joy or rejoice means, to rest fully on the grace of God. And, and that wove its way through the entire book. Um, and we learned that Paul says the only way we really have that is in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, of Christ, you know, all of the prepositions that we studied. Um, and they all relate to Christ. Everything is centered around Christ. If you want joy, you're going to find it in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, of Christ, uh, so forth and so on. We get to, to week eight, and I wonder what's left. And then the Lord just shows me um, this, this beautiful uh, uh, set of scriptures that we're going to go through together this morning. Uh, and it's literally about togetherness. Um, we're going to sum up the book of Philippians with the idea of togetherness. Paul was in Rome, right, writing from prison. But he was writing to his brothers and sisters in the Lord, right, who were in Philippi. He also did that to the folks that were in uh, Corinth and, and the folks that were in Ephesus and um, you, uh, the folks that were in Galatia. All the letters that we read are all letters that Paul was writing to fellow brothers and sisters in the faith in different cities in which he was not in currently. Uh, but he recognized that they were all brothers and sisters together with him. They all uh, loved Jesus, and so he was encouraging them. Today we're going to look at togetherness. Paul recognized there was this idea of togetherness, even if we weren't all in the same place at the same time. The first thing that, uh, that Paul uh, shares with us about togetherness is in chapter 1, verse 7. So we're going to be all over Philippians today uh, to close this series out. So go ahead and flip to Philippians chapter 1, verse uh, I'm glad that's the last time I have to say flip to Philippians because that has been really challenging for me these past eight weeks. Um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, Paul says, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me in 
are of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. The key word here um, is partakers together. This is an interesting word, partakers. Um, it means uh, literally what you think it means. To partake, to take part of, to, uh, there's no better way to say it, to partake, right? Um, in grace, okay? Um, and Paul is saying, listen, if we are all partakers in the grace of God together, then we all share the same grace from God. Which means, and Paul writes this in some other letters, that no one is greater or lesser in the kingdom of God. There is neither Jew nor Greek in the kingdom of God. There is neither rich nor poor in the kingdom of God. There is neither left-handed nor right-handed, right? Though these are all um, types of people we have, all of them receiving, partaking grace together, find this beautiful equity in the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? I kind of look at it this way. That when God sets the buffet table of grace, and there's this great feast and spread of grace in front of us, and he invites us all to sit at the table with him, he hands us all a spoon, and he says, dig in family style, right? You've all been to a family style restaurant, right? Or you share family style meals around your table, right? And you're all just, yeah, I'm getting some nods. You all know what I'm talking about, right? And so you're all just digging in from the same bowls and plates and you're eating the food together and you are partaking in the feast that is before you. And you don't ever really turn to someone at the table and say, nah, you can't have what I have, right? Because you didn't set the table. In this case, Jesus set the table. Everybody partakes of grace together. Everybody gets the same amount of grace, which is never-ending, unceasing, always and forever kind of grace. And so you're never going to run out. You don't have to hoard your portion of grace because you can take as much as you can conceive of, and there will always be more <laughs> grace to take for you and the people next to you, right? So we are all partakers of the same grace. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. There's an implication here in taking grace, partaking together, um, that when we, we partake grace, we become part of the body of Christ, right? Um, and therefore, we begin to hold each other in affection because we share in something that is unique and special. And so, like Paul says, uh, it's right for me to feel this way about you. We've partaken the body and the blood of Jesus Christ together. We are brothers and sisters in the faith. I love you guys. We partake this grace together. We are bound together because we are partakers. And, and we are partakers together in my imprisonment. And the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So, so Paul is saying, listen, because we've partaken grace together, this particular amount of grace that I have has led me towards imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. The grace that I have is sufficient enough for me, Paul says, to enable me to do the things that God has called me to do. Uh, thus, it will be for you 
for the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Perhaps you won't be imprisoned, Paul says, but I was. That's the grace, but we partake together and we rejoice together as we partake. We partake together. I just, just think for a moment about the people around you. Don't look at them. That might get awkward. Okay. But just think for a moment about the people you came to church with, the folks that you greeted on the way in, the, uh, the folks that you saw maybe that were at first service and you caught them on their way out and your way in, right? Um, we are partakers together. We share the same grace. It's not just that we accidentally ended up in this place and space together on Sunday morning. Like, oh my goodness, Oh, I didn't believe you guys were going to be here. This is so bizarre that we all showed up together here. No, we came here together because we are partaking of the same grace. We are one body, individually gifted and unique and from different lifestyles and walks of life and places. But we are drawn together here this morning because we partake of the same grace. This grace of God has drawn us here. We partake and eat from the feast that God has given us. Beyond that, go two verses backwards in time for you. Uh, chapter 1, verse 5. We're not just partakers of grace, but we are partners together in grace. I love this because now pastors like to preach with alliteration, things that all start with the same letter because it just flows real nicely. I didn't even have to come up with it this time. This is Paul's alliteration. I think it's fantastic. Okay. So we are partakers, and then we are partners. 1, verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Your partnership. Paul is saying, I thank God always in all of my prayers because of your partnership in the gospel. People partake in the grace of God. And because of that, you become a partner with other people who have partaken in the grace of God. Um, yeah, okay, have you all seen um, Yellow Brick Road? What's the movie? Thank you. <laughs> I don't know why the name just went for me. Um, so you've all seen The Wizard of Oz, I assume, right? Okay. Yes, great, okay. So you know when they link arms and they do that nice little dance down the yellow brick road. That's kind of the mental image I have here is when we partake on this grace, we are then on a journey together with other people linking arms and walking down this road that God has provided for us in his grace. We are partners together in the gospel. This means that we are working together in unity towards a common goal. We are um, mutually sharing in what we have together. In fact, uh, if you read in chapter 4, verse 15, I like that he starts in chapter 1 with partnership and he ends in chapter 14 with partnership. Chapter 4, verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. Paul's saying, listen, Philippians, you get it. You are not only partakers of grace, but you are partners with me. You have given and have received. There is a mutual giving and receiving in the partaking partnership of Jesus Christ. Now, it's a beautiful kind of thing. Um, it's this mutual submission where one person in the body of Christ has a need. 
and another person says, oh, I can meet that need. Let me meet that need for you. A partnership. Look, look again, for lack of a better example, because it's the one that's on the tip of my brain right now, the Wizard of Oz. Okay? Every single one of those unique individuals, the Cowardly Lion, Tin Man, uh, Dorothy, Toto, maybe even, Scarecrow, right? They all had unique assets, right? But they were all part of this journey together. And every single one of them needed to participate, to partner in a very unique way for the good of everybody else. They, they were partnering together, mutually submitting. And think about marriage, right? Any good marriage is a mutual submission to the two partners, giving and taking of your strengths and your weaknesses so that your marriage is stronger, right? There is a partnership when you partake in the grace of God, working together in unity. But there's one more in this alliteration pattern that Paul gives us. We're partakers, right? We have received the grace of God. We're partners. We link arms covered by the grace of God going, we're working together within the body of partakers for unity and joy and we're meeting each other's needs. This is all great. One more. We're participating together. Okay? Uh, chapter 1, verse 19, says this. 12, 13, 6, okay. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul says, I know... That because you have partaken in the grace of God and the spirit of God, and that we are linked arms and partners, you are actively participating in the working out of the gospel of Jesus Christ by praying. You aren't just sitting there doing nothing. You are participating. That's an action word. That's a not sitting still word. That's a you're doing something kind of word. Participating. Paul says, Prayer is a way that we participate. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How, as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. So there's this idea of service. Service in the gospel. Now, Timothy served Paul like a son would serve a father. There was this unique <coughs> partnership relationship. Timothy served, and then if you go to uh, verse 25, you learn about someone else named Epaphroditus. I thought it was necessary to send you Epaphroditus. He was my brother, my fellow worker. A fellow is the linking arms, and worker is the participating part. And fellow soldier, fellow is the linking arms, right? And soldier is the kind of guy who goes out into the fray and does what needs to be done. And if you remember, Epaphroditus was the guy who took the gift from the Philippian church and brought it to Paul in prison at Rome at great expense to himself. He nearly died doing it. He participated, right? To the extent that he almost died. Paul participated in the gospel to the extent that he was put in prison and could have lost his life. And, you know, 
He didn't know if he was going to or not. Timothy participated by submitting himself to Paul and saying, teach me. And eventually he became a pastor over not just one, but several churches. Young guy leading the flock. There's an active participatory kind of idea where you serve, you work, um, you labor. Read uh, chapter 4, verse 3 with me. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. See, see in this moment, there's this conflict between uh, Euodia and Syntyche, and they're, and they're struggling in their relationship together. And Paul says, listen, please help them remember that they are partakers of grace together, partners together. They are laboring, working, serving for the glory of God together, Help them live in unity together because that's how we're called. We're called to live by the same grace. Fellowship together, linking arms, partnering together, and participating actively for the glory of God. But to what end? Right? Like I read all this and I'm like, it's great. We partake the same grace together. We are partners together. Right? We participate. But why? And it's kind of up here, right? For God's glory and the world's good. But I want to phrase it this way. These things are important that you partake in the grace of God. That you partner with other people who have done so in unity. And that you actively participate. You work, you pray, you labor. You are a soldier for Jesus Christ going out into the world where there is the enemy trying to knock you down left, right, and in between. right? And you go out and you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not that you question your salvation, but that you go into the world and you actively work. You do work. You work out, you live in, you demonstrate your salvation through the way that you live. Does that make sense? You do that so that you can build a community of joy. We have joy here most of the time, right? I think it would be very safe to say we've got the joy of the Lord here. Down in my heart, the lyrics went through my head. Um, and, and that's a great thing to have the joy of the Lord within these walls. We laugh together. We enjoy life together. We even serve together, right? We're doing these things together, partnering together and encouraging one another, mutually giving and sharing and taking care of one another. And meal trains go around and we pray for each other. All these kinds of things, right? But if it stays here, then we are not really doing the participatory part. This um, serving and working and laboring to the point that we put ourselves at risk to build a kingdom of joy that goes beyond our four walls. The call of the gospel, the upward call of the gospel, the very demonstration that, that Paul gave us, and, and not just Paul, but he pointed us back to Jesus. And we can, we can read it in Philippians where he, he wrote it. If there's any encouragement in Christ, this is chapter 2. If there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, i.e. if you're participating in the kingdom of God, if you have any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and unity, and in one mind, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. 
Don't just look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others and have this mind in yourself because it was first in Christ Jesus. So this is the call that Paul has, that we are to go and build a community of joy, not just in and among ourselves, but outside the walls of the church where people don't have that joy where people haven't partaken of the Holy Spirit, where they do not know the joy of feasting with Jesus Christ at the table that is an endless buffet. But I want you to think for a moment of what it would look like if we didn't. What would happen if we partook of the the grace and we partnered together and we enjoyed ourselves, right, in our little grace huddle, right? But we never actually went outside the walls and participated in the way that Christ would call us to. What if we never had joy on our face despite trials when we were out in the world? What if we never saw someone who is sad and stopped and prayed with them? What if we never took food to people who were recovering from surgery or uh, who'd lost a loved one? What if we never uh, did all of the things that encourage people outside these walls? What if we never engaged with the lost? What would the world look like today? Hmm. The thing is, it started with 12 people. 13 if you count Jesus. 12 if you remove Judas. So, you know, give or take. It started with a small group of people a very long time ago where Jesus says, Listen, I want you to partake in something that is completely unique and revolutionary and will change the world. And it's going to start with us. But if it stays with us, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. So it cannot stay with us. I'm going to give you the, the most I can while I am here with you. And then I'm going to send you out to participate in the kingdom by spreading yourselves out and sharing it. And the beauty of it is, the more you give it away, the more there is. You cannot outgive God's grace. You cannot give away the love that he has given you because, surprise, he just keeps filling you up. It's never-ending, always-and-forever kind of love. Never-ending and always-forever kind of grace. And so when we come and we partake of the grace here, and we go, oh, I love our fellowship partnership together, then we must then acknowledge that the very next step is the one that's taken out the door where we participate in our faith. Where we participate maybe not with each other during the week, although that's great, but that shouldn't be our centric focus. How do we participate with the lost? How do we um, pray for them and serve them and work for them and labor so that they might enter into the joy that we have? That's what Christ wants us to do. Now, it continues. Oh, I lost my place. That's okay. Um, It continues um, uh, in chapter 2, where we count uh, the interests of others above our own, because this was in Christ Jesus. Um, and, uh, And it says, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, right? He labored for us, right? Um... And then God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, Paul says, because of Jesus, therefore, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because of what Jesus did for you, 
Therefore, go and do that kind of lifestyle for other people. Do exactly what Jesus did, but do it for other people. He did it for you, Romans says, Paul says, because while you were still sinning, Jesus was dying for you. So while other people are still sinning, you should go pour your lives out for them so that they can then come to the feast and know that when they partake, they will be able to experience the grace of God and it will be life-changing. Then they will link arms with you and you will rejoice and then you will send them right back out to do the exact same thing. But you're going to be going with them. We have the opportunity to build a city of joy, a community of joy, part of the kingdom of God realized here and now in Ketchikan. And it goes beyond our walls. It goes out there. We have so much work to do. For six years, I've talked about the number of Christians we have in Ketchikan, which is about 1,100. It's really not changing all that much. And the number of people we have on this island. And we are a very small percentage. There are 12,000, 13,000 unbelievers on this island. But Jesus says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and that's a promise. And we can realize that now if we but actively serve and pray and participate in ways that reach the lost. <clears throat> so we can build a community of joy. Uh, the worship team is going to come up here in just a moment and lead us in a time of worship. And during this time of worship, we're going to pass the communion elements. Um, uh, these are simple elements, if you are not aware, a simple cup and a little wafer, right? And they represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus took his 12 disciples and he gathered them together one night and he said, listen, I want you to partake in something. I want you to share a meal with me, Jesus said. I want you to take the cup and recognize that this is my blood which is poured out for you. It is the new covenant poured out in my blood. And I want you to take the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, I want you to partake in this. This is my body, which is broken for you. And when you partake in this, you are claiming my death in your place that I have died for your sins and rosen again. You are partaking in the grace of God. But beyond that, you are proclaiming his death to other people as an opportunity to receive grace. So what I want you to do today is take the elements and as you sing and pray and worship, take them whenever the Holy Spirit leads you. But first, do one thing. Ask God how you can participate in building a kingdom of joy. I could list a myriad of ways that you could participate, but I know I'll forget the one that is significant to you, and so then you will go, well, it's not for me today. So I'm not gonna list anything. I'm just gonna let Jesus list it. He's gonna poke you right in the fields today, because he wants to, and it's good for you and those around you. And when he does, will you respond with yes? And then will you take the elements, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, and in a moment between you and him, Will you feast on the grace that he is giving you to go the direction that he has called you to go? And then sing and worship to your heart's content for the good of those around you who hear you singing. And then take that joy and go outward to the world. Let's pray as the elements are continuing to be passed and we'll sing, Lord, thank you that you have laid a spread of grace in front of us.
and it's never ending. And we can't consume enough of it to make it disappear. May we be so hungry for your grace today. May we partake in the body and the blood of your son who died on the cross in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day so that we might have life eternal and joy so that we can rest on his grace. Give us a way to participate. We overcomplicate things and you make it so simple. Would you make it abundantly clear to each one of us this morning the ways that you would have us participate? Bring to mind faces and places and actions and ways. And we will be obedient. We will participate. Where you lead us, we will go. We trust that when we follow you, it will be good for us, for those around us, and will bring you glory above all else. We submit ourselves now to you in worship and prayer. Do with us as you will. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. You've just heard a message from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. To learn more about our church or to support our ministries, you can visit ktnnaz.org.